and welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC Podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I am joined, as always, by Jason Gibbs. Jason, welcome back. We have not been recording the last week because Jason has been in COVID protocol. Hopefully you found our uh, Twitter spaces that we did earlier this week, but Jason is uh, doing all right now. He's feeling a little bit better, so we decided to record, and uh, glad to have you back, man. Yeah, Dan, I mean, just to all the kids out there, if you're feeling a little peer pressure to to get COVID because all the cool kids are doing it, I would advise against that. Uh, definitely would advise against that. It This thing really knocked me on my ass. I'm still definitely not all the way back, but I am at least able to record. I probably sound a little congested still, but good to be back and it's, and it's good to have the uh, pipeline ACC podcast firing away. Yeah, especially because there's obviously been a lot going on in ACC basketball. And I think the first thing that we should probably start with is the buzzer beater UVA over Duke 69 to 68 is UVA back. Have we been made the mistake of doubting a Tony Bennett team. Will they somehow make the tournament like they always do? Those are the things in question, and I'll pitch it to you in just a sec, but just summarizing how this went down, it was uh, UVA kind of dominated for a lot of the game in the paint. It wasn't just one of those games where, hey, you beat Duke, you get lucky, you hit a lot of threes. They hit two threes the entire game. And one of them was Reese Beekman uh, shot in the final second. So bigs, the UVA bigs were finishing against Mark Williams in the post, giving him foul trouble. Defense is finally playing well enough. And uh, UVA gets it done. A huge win. They absolutely needed that. And now they've got two very good wins in their resume. Win at Duke and... I don't know if you remember, Jason, but all the way back, they got a neutral site 18-point win against Providence, and Providence has only two losses this season. So what are you thinking about this and Virginia and their uh, short-term future? What was the Mark Twain quote? The details of my demise are greatly exaggerated. Maybe that's where we're at with the Who's. You know, it was a great win to go on the road, you know, Last year, Duke dropped quite a few games at home, and that was clearly because of COVID and there was no crowd. And then when you take away the crowd and Cameron Indoor, it's just another stadium and there's really no home court advantage. That wasn't the case this this game. And, and the Blue Devil fans, you know, the camera crazies were loud. They were raucous. And you said it. Uh, Virginia hits two three-pointers and are five from nine from the free throw line. I mean, that's to pull out a victory on the road. And and with those two stats is really a testament to the team. It's a testament to Tony Bennett. Maybe, maybe something's starting, maybe the tide's starting to turn. I mean, you know, uh, the blue devils were coming off an emotional victory on the road over UNC in in a big rivalry game, but really they handled the Tar Heels from start to finish. So I don't think their tank would have been empty. So maybe it's a, you know, a harbinger of things to come uh, for Virginia. Yeah, you look at Virginia, they also had, since we've recorded a big win over Miami by a pretty 
significant margin. I think it was 20, 25 points before the walk-ons came in, got a little closer. Uh, they beat Boston College by 12. I think that was since we last recorded. So who's our uh, need three straight? They got Georgia Tech on Saturday. Then things start to get difficult, but definitely something they absolutely needed after all the bad losses they've had this season. They needed some, another big win on their schedule, and they got one. But if we look at Duke, I think they'll probably be fine. Like, obviously, they're going to be probably the highest rated seed in the ACC, in the uh, NCAA tournament. I don't know if they'll win the ACC or not. That's still up for grabs. But I kind of agree with this tweet. It was put out by the Brotherhood at Brotherhood CBB. Very good Duke account. Even if you're not a Duke fan, his takes are honest. So follow, give him a follow. Um, he said, this is the kind of the scenarios for how Duke would play out in the NCAA tournament. If they win out, probably get the final one seed or the two seed in the East. One more loss, they get two or three seed. Two more losses, three or four seed. And if they get three more losses, don't even bother to talk about seeding because it, it doesn't really matter that much. They'll get like a five, a six, just it's more f- focused on matchups and whatnot. But uh, yeah, Duke, we think they're they're pretty closer, pretty much closer to the ACC than we thought. And I put out a stat this morning. It said the ACC is the only conference in college basketball with every team having at least three wins in the conference and every team having at least three losses in the conference. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before. We kind of say the ACC is down, but maybe it's just deeper than we, than we, and we are kind of beating up on each other. I don't know that we don't have a ton of out of conference wins to hang our hat on. So it's hard to make that argument, but Duke's still in the top four, and, and you've mentioned this before on our award-winning podcast, that the top four in the ACC is, is really going to be where it's at because you're going to get that double bye come ACC tournament time. And this win for Virginia gets them right to the precipice, so they're going to be scratching and clawing the rest of the way as well. For sure, yeah. Uh, the double bye, I've said that on the spaces too. A- anybody can basically win the ACC as long as you get the single bye. Because I think if you're falling like that bottom tier of the conference, like your Boston College, Pitt, Georgia Tech, NC State, probably Louisville just because they have no coach. And I feel like those teams don't really have a chance, but everybody has upside. Like, that's the thing. I, I know we talked about in the spaces about how Florida State could be a tournament bid stealer. And uh, I know they just lost to Pitt, but somebody, somebody gets an auto bid and I don't, necessarily think it's going to be Duke. So that's something definitely we need to keep discussing. Duke actually plays Clemson right now. They're up 6-4 at the under-16 timeout. A lot of games in a few days for Duke. But uh, let's just quickly talk about this other Monday night game. We had uh, Virginia Tech beating Pitt 74-47. to I don't know what to talk about here. Virginia Tech is, I guess, I mean, they're starting to compile wins four straight. For whatever reason, they're still in the bubble, so that's the only thing that's worth talking about. In my opinion, it's one of those things. I don't care about what the metrics say, even as a huge metrics guy. 
They have 10 losses in a bad ACC. I don't think they deserve to be in, but do you disagree with me? Do you think like the, the fact that they're winning their games by a lot of points and losing their games by few points, do you think that really matters? Or are you just looking at the 14 and 10 and be like, yeah, this is not really anywhere close to a tournament team? Well, you know, with the, with the caveat that there's still a lot of time left, there's still quite a few games left to add. I'm right there with you. 14 and 10 and under 500 in the conference, six and seven. That just, I don't care what metrics say. I don't care if, you know, Bart Torvik and Ken Palm and I'll have you the number one ranked team in the country. If that's your record, that's just, that's just not going to cut it. So there are games left for the Hokies to add to their total and, and maybe get that bumped up a little bit, but there's a there's a lot of work that needs to be done that's for sure and then we have uh we're moving on to Tuesday a little bit so North Carolina beat Clemson 79 to 77 North Carolina finished uh continues this very interesting case where they've won every single game against a team projected not to be in the tournament and lost every single game against a team projected to be in the tournament but they're getting handled still by teams that are not in the in the tournament. Like Duke, we haven't talked about this one yet. They lost to Duke by 20 points. They've lost to and they lost to Wake by a significant amount, Miami by a significant amount, Kentucky by a significant amount, Tennessee and Purdue by pretty significant amounts. It was a little bit closer, but still. I don't see UNC as a tournament team. And not only that. I know they've kind of struggled the last couple of years. I talked about this on my spaces as well. Um, the year, two years ago, they were not going to make the tournament at all. They were towards the bottom of the ACC and COVID happened. The last year they were in the tournament, got crushed in the first round, weren't too high of a seed. I think they were like an eight seed. So this year it's kind of going similarly than the last two years. But I'm more worried about the team with Hubert Davis than Roy Williams. I don't think the team is responding to him as much. And I just things that are controllable, like shot selection, the intensity on the defensive end, those should be just givens in a program like UNC. That's going to be good. So when it's not, that's an issue for me because that could be a long-term issue. That's about the coach. That's not about the players in the court. That's about the coach and him not being able to get his players to play as hard for him as I guess they played for Roy. Yeah. I mean, it's a curious case. Uh, I do think they'll probably make the tournament. I think some of that will come down to a few things. I think some of it's going to be, you know, I mean, it's tough to say it for other teams, but it's going to be, brand recognition you know that's definitely they have a march brand that has played throughout the years so that's going to be on their side there's another thing at play you know you have teams like like a byu maybe in in the wcc that aren't playing as well and when it comes down to it you know who are you gonna who who are the advertisers gonna want a a brand like north carolina or a brand like byu if they're equitable so I will, you know, openly admit that that's not fair. Again, just as I said with the Hokies, there's still time left, but I think more to your point, uh, they are who we thought they are. 
right? You know, they beat mediocre teams. They lose to good teams. And as you mentioned, I, th- I think our guy Brian Ives tweeted it out. They've lost four times this year by 20 points or more. That's the second most of all time in Carolina history. And there's still a lot of games left. So who knows if they'll add to that total. It's, it's kind of strange seeing a team like UNC uh, struggle at Clemson because uh, it's not, this isn't a Clemson team we've seen in the past where maybe they're a top 15 team, top 10 team, and it's a difficult place to play on the road. This team was 12 and 11, four and eight in the conference, constantly underperforming. And you really needed a kind of a, a last second clang out to, to win the game because, you know, Clemson had an open look for a three-pointer to win and you'd have been going home with a, another loss. So I, I kind of don't know. I, I agree with you about the intensity thing. That's the one thing that stands out. I always, I always label it as do teams have dogs or not? Yeah. And think, think back to you mentioned them losing to Kentucky. They got blown out by Kentucky. And it was a little kind of strange circumstances. They were supposed to play a different team and COVID happened. And then so Kentucky filled in the last second. That's not a reason to get beat by a, a thousand, which I think was what the, the final score was. But Kentucky has dogs. That, make no mistake about it. You know, Oscar, Shibwe, guys like that. Those are dogs. And you saw specifically in that game, the Tar Heels had none. Any loose ball went to Kentucky. Any hustle play went to Kentucky. Any, you know, 50-50 rebound went to Kentucky. And that's not something that at this point in the season, that should have been remedied, right? That should have been remedied in November. You should have your identity and you should be kind of going all out. And you just don't see it. So UNC might make the tournament. Do they deserve to or not? I a coin flip to me at least where we're at right now uh but you know no quad one wins um you know a, a bunch of blowout losses as we mentioned i'd like them to add some more victories and i'd like them you know maybe pick up a good victory here and there but i, I just I, there's no way in the world i can bet any significant money that that's going to happen by the way, you mentioned Kentucky and how they do have dogs, and I, I think they're actually – they've replaced Purdue, I think, as the team, the non-obvious team, the non-like Auburn, Gonzaga, the teams that are like top two. I guess Auburn will drop a little bit. But either way, like I think Kentucky is my new value pick to win the uh, championship. I like them a lot. I think Purdue has just not played enough defense to impress me. Even though they, yeah, so I, I actually just looked at the uh, championship odds. Gonzaga's number one, Albert's number two, Duke, Kentucky, and Purdue are all tied number three yeah. with 11 to one odds. Well, I definitely, if, if we're talking same odds, I'm definitely taking Kentucky over Purdue. So that's fair. Um, let's move on to Syracuse and Boston College. Syracuse winning 73 64. I mean, like that's kind of just exactly what you'd expect in a game like this and neither team's making the tournament, but I guess you could look at Boston college as kind of a polar opposite of UNC, right? Like they've very, very little talent compared to the rest of the conference, but they still scrap hard in the defensive end. And 
And that's never an issue. So that's the only thing I really wanted to point out now that we're talking about this game. I like Jane Zachary a lot. Freshman. think he's a, t- a guy they want to keep around and build off of. But they've got a good recruiting class coming in. Just got to bring in the talent for Boston College. Yeah, Zachary with a great game. 18 points, you know, six rebounds, six assists. Really solid line there. You know, it's always good to see your guards getting six rebounds. Uh, it really just came down to the three-point shot and, you know, Buddy Beheim and company um, hitting a few more. They hit 11 versus Boston College only hitting six. And in a game ending up by nine points, that's your difference. So I still like Boston College. I like what I see. I think if you're an Eagles fan, you got to be excited for the future, you know, because if you can get, you know, you, they're four and eight in the conference, that's – respectable considering where they're coming from and nine and 13 overall you get some more talent in there and look the fans are passionate the Eagles fans are passionate and they you know they uh get the nut going it's uh gonna be a rowdy place to play so um skies are sunny for Boston College fans I wouldn't say the skies are necessarily sunny but like I guess you could see the sunny skies ahead yeah, I mean, I just mean can, can, when you take into account where they're coming from. Yeah, nobody expected them to have anywhere remotely close to a good season. At least it's like we kind of talk about how UNC, they kind of have decent results or mediocre results, but the process is bad. I think it's the other way around with Boston College. I think the process is good. They just don't have the results because their, their roster hasn't been brought in yet. Grant really hasn't had a recruiting class, so. He's kind of just brought in some transfers, kept the Langford brothers and anybody else he could move or build around and try to put together a decent season, which is very difficult to do. Um, let's move on to Wednesday. So we had Miami beating Georgia Tech 79 to 70. Michael DeVoe with another 20 points. He is actually averaging 18.7 points per game, which is might be one of the high. He's got to be one of the highest in the conference. Do you see him as a first-team All-ACC player or just kind of a volume scorer where, like, you know, there's always the phrase, every single team in the country has a leading scorer, even the worst, and some of us take the shots. So do you think it's a case of that, or do you think he's actually just a really talented player on a bad team? I think he's talented. I think he's shown me some – I think he's shown me more this year than I would have maybe predicted. I thought – some of his his production in the past might have, especially specifically last year, might have been more of a, you know, outreach from Alvarado and, and Moses Wright and some of those guys taking the pressure off. But to be the only guy really on the team and still putting up those numbers, you know, it's, it's not like he's, you know, so he was six for 15 in this game. He had 20 points. Um, obviously, that's not a, a good percentage, you know, but – if, if you just take a look at his, you know, for the year, he's 46.6%. That's serviceable. That is absolutely serviceable. I mean, he's 39% from, from deep. So I'm, I'm very impressed with him. And I, I do think if the Jackets could have just held on to one or two of those guys that I just mentioned, I really think their, their uh, year could have gone drastically different, but such as life, you know, you've mentioned it before. They're going to be one of those teams with a Josh, you know, Josh Pastner as, as coach, as 
they have a, a good year every three or four years and then they lose all those guys and they got to got to rebuild. There's not really going to be a reloading process as far as the Yellow Jackets are concerned. And they won the ACC last year. So now this is kind of the rebuilding year. So uh, it, it was, let's not discount Miami, you know, picking up a good win. They continue to impress. They continue to stay in that top four spots in the uh, ACC, which as we've already mentioned is critical. So Kane's getting it done. Uh, the other game or one of the other games that night, we had Wake beating NC State 69-51. And Wake, I was very impressed with this because they were not – there are days where you're just not feeling it through the air, like shooting the ball and the ball is just not going through the hoop. You're not finishing, whatever. They scrapped on the defensive end and were able to hold NC State a pretty good offense to 51 points. So, Darion Sebron, obviously one of the best slashers in the country, just driving to the hoop, had 22 points. The rest of the team was just absolutely unproductive, especially Helms and Smith, who have gotten hot in, in spurts like the last month. Three for 12 field goals, three for 16 from the field, respectively. That's pretty bad. So, um, that's all we got, NC State lost that game by a pretty decent margin. Yeah, I mean, look at Seabron, 8 for 15 in the game, 22 points. Nobody else even had double digits. And as a team, the Wolfpack only shoots 19 for 59. Take out Seabron's numbers for a second. That is 11 for 44, just abysmal. I think, you know, the – this is the end for Kevin Keats. I just don't know how you can keep keep it going. And, you know, I think it was Tuffy Talk on your spaces brought up a, an interesting point in that, you know, you have Hubert Davis and you have next year, Coach K will be gone. You have John Shire. North Carolina's kind of, I don't want to say open for the taking, but if the Wolfpack moved on from Keats and, and hired a home run hire, maybe they could immediately make some noise. Maybe they could immediately move in on Duke and and UNC territory. I'm sure Wolfpack fans would be thrilled over that. But as it stands right now, it's not happening. And in fact, another North Carolina team, Wake Forest, that you mentioned is is kind of starting to encroach on that territory. And uh, Steve Forbes has something great going on. Yeah, and it would be foolish to deny how important the rivalry is in North Carolina, just the importance of basketball there. And it's possible to build a winning program at NC State. That's the thing. So definitely I think they need a new coach. It's unacceptable the results that have happened. Even though the team plays hard, I feel like they're poorly coached. And it's reflected in the fact that they've lost so many games, some of them close, but still 10 and 15 in the record book. That's what matters. Two more games. So Notre Dame beating Louisville 63-57. Um, I really – I mean, Louisville is – they're talented enough to compete in these games, but I don't think they're going to win very many with their coaching stability. But Notre Dame, I know we've kind of ratted out about how they don't play well on defense and they have trouble clearing the boards. I think Paul Atkinson, him coming along so much over the last – just look at these last five games. 
14 points, nine rebounds, 14 and nine, 23 and 11, 15 and 10, 17 and 15. Clearing the boards. He's the physical big that they absolutely needed. So huge addition to the team. Atkinson and uh, Blake Wesley, just the additions they needed to finally, I think, put together a team that will make the tournament. Yeah, I mean, fighting Irish in first place in, in the ACC, just like we all predicted, I think. Uh, Louisville, they've played more spiritedly, I guess, since letting Chris Mack go. Still don't have the results on paper. But they're they're playing with effort. I think, you know, again, we talked about coaching hires, a, a good hire here, and they're kind of – they can bounce right back and, you know, make some noise. The Irish, 17-7, 10-3, man, I mean, we, we thought that they would bounce back this year. I think this is even surpassing our expectations. Great win for Mike Brace team, and uh, <clears throat> Irish just need to keep it going. They've lost two games since December 18th. Really impressive run that they've made because they started out the season very – I think they were like 500 through that. Before, like, this huge winning streak, I think they were 500. Now they're 17-7. So that's – I think they were 5-5 five and five at some point. So, huge. Uh, final game, Pittsburgh at Florida State. I guess Florida State is really just going to have a down year. And they're talented enough maybe to make a run in the ACC tournament, but I've said they don't have the athleticism as previous Leonard Hamilton teams. And when you take out the depth, because all these players are now – I think they have five players in COVID protocol, and they've had it for the last couple of games. You take out the depth of the team, and you only have like five, six, seven-player rotation. It's not going to work out for Leonard Hamilton. So that's all I've got for Florida State. Uh, welcome back, Ethiel Horton. Finally, seven threes in the night for him. 25 points total, and Pitt fans celebrating a victory that they don't get to do very often, so good for them. It's been way better than, than – I know you you said that they were going to impress some people this year or, or at least surprise some people. I think you've been dead on in that prediction. Our other prediction of Florida State winning the ACC is going to – appears to going to be a little bit off. Uh, you know, I, I would never knock anyone over COVID protocols. Now that I've had COVID, I sure as heck wouldn't knock anyone over COVID protocols. Just a tough thing to deal with for the Knowles. I think – they were kind of peaking early. We thought, you know, maybe they were hitting their stride in January, and it's just been nothing but disjointed play since then. Mm-hmm. Probably not going to happen this year. Uh, you know, outside of a miracle run in the ACC tournament, they're going to be sitting outside the dance come March. So that brings us to Thursday, where we have Duke playing yet another game. So is Clemson, Duke winning 22-14 to 14 at the under-eight timeout. That's where we sit right now. And then we uh, will have some good action over the weekend. But Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. And being a sports podcast, we have to probably mention that. So first off, Bengals or Rams? Um, my prediction is the Bengals. I, I guess I prefer the Bengals to win, although I don't really care that much because most years I have some sort of grudge against one specific team, so I root for the other. <laughs> I'm a big Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow guy, so no no grudges here. But how about you? I feel like that. Say 
if you say most years I have a grudge against one of the teams, most I feel years, like one of those teams probably the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, most years Tom Brady is there. I'm just <laughs> jealous of his success. I hate but for him. me, man. You know, I, I think about I think about kind of tortured franchises, tortured fan bases. You got to put the Bengals up there. Los Angeles, the Rams, they've kind of been all over. You know, they were the, the L.A. Rams in the, I guess, in the 70s. I think they lost the Super Bowl in the 70s versus the Steelers or something. I'm not totally sure on that. But they move out to St. Louis. They win a Super Bowl. They move back. No one cares about the team. Their, their stadium's constantly filled by visiting fans. So I'm going to go sentimentally go with Cincinnati. I know those fans are true fans and we got, we got a couple of great ones in uh, shameless plug our discord. Definitely join. We have a lot of Super Bowl uh, chat going on and, and some betting picks going on as well. But I know we have a couple of Bengals fans there and, and I'm sure they'd be stoked. And how can you not cheer for Joe Burrow? He's just really the uh, epitome of cool, you know, Joe cool, Joe shysty, whatever you want to say. I'd love for the Bengals to win it, but, you know, I'm not going to lose sleep if Matthew Stafford and company win it. I'm sure Stafford feels like he won the lottery, Went right? You know, he goes from Detroit, where I think they won one playoff game in 50 years or something, and now he's on the precipice of winning the Super Bowl. But it's going to be interesting. I feel like the Rams' defensive line has a bigger advantage over the Bengals offensive line than the Bengals defensive line has over the Rams offensive line. I think both defensive lines are, are superb and that's kind of going to be where the game's going to be won. I, seems like a low scoring affair to me. I could be wrong, but I, it seems like a low scoring affair. And so I'd probably bang the 48. I'm not, I think it started out at 50 and it's been uh, gotten some sharp action. So I, I'd probably go still go under 48 and a half. Fair enough, yeah. Implied score would be like 26-22-ish. Um, all right, so ACC podcast. Let's do a little bit of a history lesson here. Let's talk about, look back at all the Super Bowls, all the Super Bowl MVPs, and let's recap the top five ACC player Super Bowl performances. And we're going to go because I think – our fan base is here is rooting for the current 14, 15 ACC, well, 14 for football, ACC institutions. So we're going to go current ACC schools, even if they didn't actually play in the ACC. I don't think most of you guys did, but, like, we'll do it that way. So, Jason, let's play with number five. All right. Well, actually, before we go number five, but these are, as, as Dan mentioned, these are the top five ACC Super Bowl MVP performances. So these are – Guys that won the Super Bowl MVP and also came from an ACC school just outside the top five. I'm going to go honorable mention with Fred Bolitnikoff. Now, we know Bolitnikoff went to Florida State and he has the wide receiver trophy named after him in college. But he's also won a uh, Super Bowl championship with the Oakland Raiders. And he had four receptions for 79 yards and Oakland beat Minnesota 32-14 in Super Bowl eleven. Not the biggest stat line you've ever heard, and that's why we, you know, ranked him as the honorable mention. But kind of interesting is that 
Kenny Stabler, the Oakland quarterback, only threw for 180 yards in that game. That's almost unheard of. I think he only attempted 18 passes. So that, that's that's a first quarter for some of these guys these days. But Fred Bolitnikoff with the honorable mention. All right. And then um, I guess I'll take away with number five. So number five, Ray Lewis from uh, Miami, one of the best linebackers to ever play the game. Had five tackles and four passes ended, just a beast um, on the defensive end, both in coverage, both in the box, stopping the run. I mean, you know how great Ray Lewis was. Raven beat the Giants 34-7. to This was Super Bowl 35. Yeah, you know, interesting. That was obviously a historic Ravens defense that year. They set the NFL record for least amount of points uh, allowed in a season interestingly enough if you added up their playoffs uh get their playoff games and still added that to their defensive total they would have still set the record for least amount of points allowed in the season and that's and that record only consists of the regular season so just a tremendous performance by our guy ray ray for number four, we're going with Dion Branch, wide receiver out of Louisville. Obviously played on those great Patriot teams that you rooted against so much. Uh, Branch turned in 11 receptions, 133 yards in the, in the Patriots beating Philadelphia 24 to 21 the first time they met in the Super Bowl in uh, Super Bowl 39. Dion Branch, number four. Number three, I'm going back to the Miami Hurricanes product. I'm going with Otis Anderson, the running back, not the one on UCF, but his father, who had 21 carries for 102 yards and touchdown for the New York Giants, beating the Buffalo Bills 20 to 19, Super Bowl 25. I'm assuming that was one of their four consecutive losses for the Bills. Yes, that was. And that's obviously, you know, most people probably forget about Otis Anderson winning the MVP in that game because they remember. Scott Norwood missing a 48-yard field goal at the gun to lose it for the Bills. But heartbreak city for the Bills, and I guess it still continues this year. Hmm. (laughs) For number two, I'm actually going with Dexter Jackson out of Florida State. He was a safety, played for Tampa Bay. When the Tampa Bay Bucks beat the Raiders 48-21 to in Super Bowl 37. And... This is obviously the John Gruden Bowl. You know, John Gruden coached the Raiders and he went over and coached uh, Tampa Bay. And then those teams met in the Super Bowl. But Dexter turned in uh, two first half interceptions and in, in a pass defended as well. Two tackles on the game. But those two interceptions really set the tone and it let the Bucks get out to such a lead that, uh, that Raiders really never had a chance at coming back. Yeah. And, uh, Number one, we go to a very underrated running back U. And this is maybe not even top two, top three from that specific school. This is Syracuse. And Larry Zonka, 33 carries for 145 yards, two touchdowns. Dolphins beat Minnesota 24-7 to in Super Bowl eight. This is a time where ball was the primary form of offense, not passing the ball, so. That's why we have a running back number one in our best performances. And uh, that will wrap it up our ACC Super Bowl history lesson for you guys. 
Yeah, you know, I think about you think about a guy like Larry Zonka. I feel like Chris Berman needs Larry Zonka. You know, I don't know when the last time a guy ran for 33 carries in the Super Bowl. We might not ever see that again in our lifetime. But uh, that was when it was, you know, uh, it, was it was obviously a saying out of the Big Ten, three yards in a cloud of dust, but kind of that was how all football was, you know, smash mouth football. And now it's just way too easy to score through the through the air to kind of waste your time handing the ball off 33 carries unless there's some sort of inclement weather. All right, so uh, that'll do it for uh, Jason and I's podcast segment. Before we go, just quickly listen in. We've got um, Friday some your betting tips. We have not forgotten about that. So, Sam Moore, before we go, why don't you take us away with our obscure betting tip of the day? Hey, Jason and Dan. Thanks, as always. I'm Sam Wood here once again for your obscure betting tip of the day. And looking at tonight's slate of games, there's only about 10 or 12 games to pick from, so not a lot of choices out there. But I do think I found one game that is probably not on most people's radars, but I do think it has a good betting line and can win you some money. And that comes out of the Horizon League. That is when Northern Kentucky will travel to play the Green Bay Phoenix. Both of these teams are heading in completely opposite directions right now. Northern Kentucky has won eight of their last 10, which includes two wins over the top two teams in the Horizon League, that being Cleveland State and Wright State, whereas Green Bay has lost six in a row, and most of those losses have not been to very good competition usually the lower third of the Horizon League in terms of their standings. So currently right now, the spread that I see sitting right at five to five and a half points in favor of Northern Kentucky. I'm going to take Northern Kentucky to beat Green Bay by five or more. Could potentially be a double-digit win for the Northern Kentucky North. Uh, they're just playing much hotter than Green Bay is right now, even though the game is on the road for them. And as we all know, in college basketball and college sports in general, momentum is a huge thing. Green Bay really has none right now. Northern Kentucky has a lot going for them. And hopefully uh, that momentum will continue into tonight's game. So look for Northern Kentucky to beat Green Bay by five or more. Hopefully you can get that same line that I did. Enjoy the games and happy betting. Okay, thank you very much, Sam. I, I, I'm not going to lie, like, in the Discord, I drop a lot of obscure bets about teams I don't know anything about, but the numbers definitely favor the obscure mid-major conferences. So, Sam, definitely uh, trust you there. I put I put five bucks on your bet, ten bucks. So, we'll see. But enjoy your Super Bowl. Thank you guys for listening. Join our Discord and continue to interact with us. I appreciate everything. Um, so that and I think that'll do it for. Today. So once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pipeline ACC Podcast.